electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The state of the markets and your money earnings season a mere hours away now. The investment committee debating all of it. They'll tell you the direction of stocks. They are making some key moves in their portfolios as well. You don't want to miss those. Kerry Firestone with us today, along with Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown and Pete Najarian. He, of course, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go check stocks, see where they're doing right now. The PPI, a little cooler than expected. Ten year note yield. Look at that. One seventy two. Uh, so that's holding and uh, actually a little bit lower. NASDAQ under a little bit of pressure, almost a triple a digit decline, 96 points to the downside. S&P's basically flat down a few. Dow up about 200 points. All right, Farmer Jim, I start with you. Um, wondering, you know, whether we could trust the bounce in tech over the last couple of days. We are going for four updates in the NASDAQ. We obviously have some work to do at this moment. But you've gone now from Mr. All-In to Mr. Sitting on My Hands. You don't want any part of this market right now. You do think that we're still going to have a correction. I, I do. I'm sticking with that call. Um, you know, obviously, I look at it the last few days and I wonder if I'm right. But the last few days feels like a pause in what is going to be a steady rise in interest rates. And I don't I don't think this is a cataclysmic rise in interest rates. You know, if the 10 year gets to two or a little bit above that, that's not going to kill the economy. It's not going to kill the markets. But what it is going to do is knock down higher priced hyper growth stocks. Um, so I think that this respite we've had, particularly in technology for the last couple of days, is not over. You know, as far as sitting on my hands, yeah, that's true. I haven't done anything in the last few days. I did raise some cash in the last couple of weeks. You know that. Uh, I certainly haven't deployed it because I don't think we're anywhere near the end of the volatility uh, that I see coming because the Fed has basically changed its support of the stock market. And there's nothing wrong with that, all right? This isn't head for the hills time. It means just have a little dry powder for volatility that should come. I'm still 90% invested, so I'm not thinking that there's a bear market or some disaster afoot. I just wonder if, if this is yet another head fake on rates. Josh, you know, we're moving lower. We're 172. We've, we've, we've moved a lot, obviously, in the last eight, nine days, 30 basis points or, or so. Um, but we've declined from there. By the way, UBS today says they expect the 10-year to move to around 2% in the coming months. And in terms of where we are in the market, you don't think that the correction or the pullback or whatever you want to characterize it as is over. You said on the closing bell yesterday, right now this bounce does not look like the bounce. There's a lot more puking that needs to take place in a lot of areas of this market. What specific areas still look a little bloated so, to you, yeah, Josh? So to, to, to be clear, I'm referring specifically to the NASDAQ. I don't think the selling's over. There was a little bit of a kick save two days ago uh, there was an intraday violation on the NASDAQ itself uh, below the 200-day moving average, and some buying came in, and we got a really nice two-day rally, which seems to have already stalled out. Uh, and if you think about 
how, if you think about how a lot of the components, uh, forget the Qs, the NASDAQ composite, how many stocks we're talking about, what's going to end up happening is a lot of these names are going to make a lower high uh, as this, this bounce peters out. So you don't want to see lower highs. And unfortunately, that's what it looks like we're set up for. And what that ends up doing, so I'm just talking about charts, but now let's talk about what that does to sentiment. As people who have been crushed in NASDAQ stocks, and remember, 40% of the NASDAQ is already in a 50% drawdown from last February. As people start to see that pattern of, oh, great, my stocks rebounded, but why didn't they rebound to the price that I bought it? Um, you end up seeing real capitulation and selling begets more selling. So that process has to play itself out. I don't think it's a disaster, depending on how you're allocated. It's certainly not a disaster in the FANG names. They're, they look fine. They don't look great, but they look okay. Um, ARC is in a 45% drawdown as of this morning. Obviously, that's a much different story. So, and it's a very broad spectrum between those two things. Like, there's a lot of distance between Apple and Teladoc, let's say, right? Um, but if you think about the, the newer investors who have come into the market over the last year and a half, two years, what stocks do they own? They own DraftKings. Like, you know where they are. And so from that standpoint, I don't think sentiment uh, is, is, is bad enough to say this is the bottom. I really don't think there's been enough damage. I think there are still market caps that are 20 billion that are on their way to 10 billion. And we have to just sit through that, unfortunately. We have to watch that play out. And that's what's happening right now. You know, you know Pete, um, that view is shared by the likes of Paul Tudor Jones, I think. You know, when he was on Squawk Box earlier in the week, he talked about historical multiples of the NASDAQ, you know, kind of where it is now relative to where the unemployment rate is now relative to where interest rates could be going from here and the reset that would still need to happen sentiment that was really shared by brad gerstner with me the other day as well who thought you could still have a 10 to 15 percent compression in multiples going forward specifically on the nasdaq and a lot of those higher valuation higher price to sales stocks which have certainly gotten hammered but maybe not hammered enough is that still the the most acute part of the, the worrisome area of the market. I can't hear Pete. We'll work on Pete's audio. Uh, Carrie, can you want to entertain that same question? Because I'm sure you have thoughts on it as well. Yeah, sure. You know, it, it, it's interesting, Scott, that tech had really underperformed the market uh, in the first couple of quarters of 2021, ended up pretty close to financials in terms of being up, you know, around 30%. So despite this decline in the NASDAQ, and as Josh pointed out, there are hundreds of names on the NASDAQ, tech companies that are down, you know, 30 to 80%. And I ran a screen of the, the names over three, bill, three billion market cap, there are 160 biotech and tech names, more than 30% off their 12-month high. So the market and technologies as sectors continue to go higher despite these companies going lower, and they can coexist. Uh, the market's down about 1% so far in January. That's not a surprise after being up 11% in the fourth quarter. That, we, we can see a, a, a market that can go higher. Maybe it's going to have trouble uh, doing anything such as 28.5% as last year, but it can move higher while we have this correction continue and the very high-priced um, big multiple of sales 
type of names because the quarter is going to be, you know, a, as expected, not great because of Omicron, but continuing to, I think, show that the economy is expanding. Interest rates have not moved up at the rate that people thought even two weeks ago. You know, we hit about 1.8 and people are saying, oh boy, it's a 2.0 in you know, a handle in, in a second. And that didn't transpire. So, you know, I think that the consolidation that's occurring under the surface, while the market is sort of holding steady rather than falling as mm -hmm. it did in the first week, is healthy, is healthy. I mean, it, it is notable that as the 10-year continues to drop on an intraday basis, so does the NASDAQ, by the way. We're off about 25 more points than we were when we started the show, what, six to eight minutes ago? Or so, Pete, I think we've cleaned up your audio now. You hear me? Yes. Yes, I, yes, I do, Scott. Yes. All right. So give me your thoughts. You, you've hopefully heard everybody's take on what's happening yeah. within the market, whether the worst of the tech selling is over. Certainly doesn't appear to be. And, and Josh just told you that there needs to be more of a puke in his words. Do you agree with that? Um, I don't know if I'd even use the expression puke. I would just say uh, the correction that we need to see out of these unbelievable multiples and no multiple names that were absolutely flying to the upside. And now we're seeing them as they're kicking to the downside. And I think that that's something you guys brought up, Ark, as well. I think that's something that, that, that's been playing out here for a while now. And as a matter of fact, when we look at the FANG names, the FANG names, I think, are standing up pretty strong still. Obviously, they're a little bit volatile with everything else, and they're going to get affected, but not to the same degree. I think that we're the heavy selling that we will continue to see will come from a lot of these high multiple, no multiple type names. Now, the reality is I look at certain names, and you can almost predict where you're looking at the NASDAQ at that moment in time, like a name like Tesla, for instance. Tesla earlier on, markets were up. NASDAQ was up. You saw Tesla moving up. It was over 1,100, and then it starts to fall back again. That's one of those key uh, names where I think you can kind of look to and just say, you know what? And I'm not saying there's something wrong with Tesla. I'm just saying that's almost like uh, uh, the stick that's kind of leading us right now. And I and I think that's an yeah. interesting a, a, a kind uh, way of a proxy. to kind of look at things right now. A proxy, right? Yes, absolutely. The pro yeah. Of the, of the high multiple names. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we absolutely have to puke. But I do think we, we will see some, some further selling at times, especially if there's any nervousness whatsoever. I think when you're talking about the 10 years, Scott, I think it was that velocity of the move that got us up to 1.8 in such a short period of time. That, I think, is the concerning thing. And that is what, what started to trigger some of this big selling that we had seen in certain areas and obviously the buying that we had seen in the financials. So, you know, there's a lot of different mechanisms that are hey, going on hey, right judge. now, whether it's the 10-year or crude. Yep. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Josh. I, I just – the, the – uh, the S&P 500 has not had a weekly close below its 200-day moving average since April of 2020. It's January of 2022. Uh, I think there are a lot of market participants who forgot what it's like to be in a, in, a, in a defined downtrend, a technical downtrend, and not just to be in one for 10 minutes, but to be in one for weeks or even months. The next time the NASDAQ gets back below the 200-day, and if it stays there, uh, through a, a, a Friday afternoon, I think you're going to see uh, I think you're going to see the type of selling activity where Pete will concede the word puking becomes the actual correct uh, technical term. So what we're talking about in that type of scenario is the sort of indiscriminate selling in the top 100 NASDAQ names that really hasn't happened yet. 
Um, and even when you think about some of the growthier names in the Dow and the S&P 500, your Home Depots and Lowe's, for example, um, where you say to yourself, no, these companies shouldn't get caught up in that. They sell hardware and home furnishings. They're also selling at 30, 40 times earnings in some cases. So that's the type of selling we haven't seen yet. And I'm not rooting for it. Mm -hmm. I just want people's minds to be open to that possibility. And it's been a very long time. People have forgotten. So I would be watching that 200-day on the NASDAQ. I would be watching that 10-month moving average. Um, and I would consider mm -hmm. a pronounced sentiment shift if, in fact, we start seeing closes below those levels. I think they become really important well, we, now. So we, we have the lows of the day, albeit it's not a 1% decline yet on the NASDAQ, but we have seen a pickup in selling since we began having our conversation about the NASDAQ and, and where it may go. What's interesting, Josh, is that as you mentioned Home Depot, and I turned to Kerry for this one, so you are taking some profits. You, you are trimming across your portfolio, uh, which to me is a, has to be a statement in some sorts about where you think this market may be heading in the near term. Home Depot among the ones you, you've trimmed. You trimmed HD, you trimmed Sherwin-Williams, you trimmed Thermo Fisher. I'm gonna mention another one later in the context of a different conversation that we're gonna have. But the performance numbers on these stocks are through the roof. Depot's up 56% yeah. last year, Sherwin up 44, Thermo up 43. You get the point of huge gains and maybe now's the time to go for the exit. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, these are stocks that we've owned for multiple years and Home Depot has um, a couple of times over the past four years been at relative multiples that were very attractive compared to its its own history. And we would add to the position and then the stock would go back up. And now it's not selling for, for a, a relative multiple that's low. It's, it's high relative to its history. The same is true for the other names. Uh, Sherwin, as you know, I've talked about that m many times on the show. Um, you know, paints can't uh, fly and you have to go to the paint store, but there's been so much painting going on uh, when people have been inside and uh, remodeling that, you know, it's it's uh, the right move on a portfolio basis to take some profit when when the weights of these stocks have gone gone up and up over the past year and a half. So that's what we did. We've raised some cash and we've got money on the sidelines uh, that will be available for opportunities as we, we see them show up. You know, I, I see the NASDAQ and the move that it's making, and it just underscores this conversation that's being had about value and growth and what's going to rule the day and whether value is finally, and I, how many times have I asked this question, <clears throat> excuse me, whether value is finally going to have, you know, its moment. It certainly is now. The Russell 1000 uh, value ETF is coming off its fourth positive close in five, and it's clearly outperforming growth right now. The question is this rotation that we've been witnessing, whether it has staying power. I want you to listen to what the professor of the Wharton School, Jeremy Siegel, told me yesterday in our conversation about the markets in the here and now and what you should do as an investor. Let's listen. Stocks are real assets. You just can't hold paper assets, um, which are bonds. They're the words. Stocks are real assets. What, what higher real rates does mean is the rotation that we've been talking about. That certainly happened in, in the first week of this year. And I think it's going to happen throughout the rest of this year. 
So you, you see, Jim, I mean, this was in response to a question is, you know, the professor has been out there suggesting that everybody is getting inflation wrong and the Fed's got it so wrong that they're going to have to raise rates more times, more often than the markets are expecting. So when I said to him, uh, does that mean you're getting out of stocks, Professor? I mean, you are known as like one of the biggest bulls around always, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. You still got to be in stocks. You can't be in bonds. You just got to be in the right stocks. And you, got to, you have to play that rotation, which he said in a follow-up question, he thinks this is the moment for value and that it's going to stay this way. What do you think? Well, I think it's going to stay for a while. Now, what does that mean? I think that's at least six months. I hope it's more than that. I hope it's a year. But really what we're talking about here, you know, behind rising interest rates, the reason for it is you've got a very strong economy. I think that's an unassailable truth. Uh, you know, and I would just point to the fact that jobs are plentiful. Uh, and yes, that's creating inflation, but you've got a strong economy. What that means is you're early in an economic expansion. That is the time that multiples on value stocks tend to expand. Okay, we're talking about interest rates going up and multiples at best staying constant for technology stocks, maybe even contracting. But if you're an energy producer, if you're a financial, if you're an industrial, you're looking at earnings growth at a level that will promote multiple expansion on those stocks. So. This is more about the life cycle of a bull market, more about the life cycle of an economic expansion. And yes, you have to be in those stocks where multiples might actually expand. As a case in point, just so that you kind of know what I'm talking about here, for those of us who have invested in autos for a long period of time, we remember that three years ago, a good multiple on a uh, auto manufacturer like General Motors would have been six times. You know, now General Motors is at about nine times. Ford is at 11 times. That's what happens when you come out of a recession. As this cycle ages, people will look at those stocks and they'll say, you know what, we need to take the multiple down. But where we are right now, value stocks multiples yeah. should hey, expand. I, 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 forgive me for, for jumping in here, Jim. I, I do want to get back. I can't get away from the NASDAQ as, as I look at it. As you're talking, I'm sitting there looking at, you know, our... our our screen here and throw up the NASDAQ guys intraday uh, because we're almost down 200 points on the NASDAQ, just like that. Uh, as we've been having this conversation about, you know, there are a lot of stocks that have come down a lot and some very smart people who think they still need to come down a lot more. So you're looking at a loss on the NASDAQ now of one and a third percent. So, Josh, if if we do see a bigger drawdown in the NAS and, and in tech, what are we supposed to think about the mega caps? The Apples, for example, which, you know, J.P. Morgan is out positive today on that Evercore raises a target today to 210 from 200. You know, stocks like like that, that so many people are in and have been buying. And it was only a day ago when I said, hey, guys, in, the, in this market, Apple's only like seven, eight bucks away from its all time high. Are, are those types of stocks going to be especially vulnerable as well? Or are they going to be the defensive ports in the storm? that they've been in in large cases my guess is the latter and and i i because i don't because i think old habits die hard and i think a lot of people have looked at those stocks as though they're the treasury bonds of the stock market as ludicrous as that might sound to you treasury bonds currently feature negative real returns uh for investors and so people have said okay i can accept 15 percent of volatility in apple in exchange for the dividend plus buyback being a positive real yield in terms of shareholder return. So that's the way people have thought about stocks like that. 
The problem is there aren't that many of them. Um, the other problem is if we do get a, real, a, a much bigger drawdown just across the board, which, by the way, the, the S&P looks fine to me, okay? But if, if what's going on in the NASDAQ started to infect the S&P 500 and this value rally fell apart, which, by the way, could happen at the drop of a, of a hat, don't, don't get too excited about uh, automobile stocks if people start screaming about recessions. Um, but if that were to happen, I feel like these stocks would hold up better than most, but I also feel like they would be used as a source of cash for more opportunistic traders who are saying, all right, Apple's down 6 7% from its high. That's not that exciting to me. I want to redeploy some of that into a stock that's been cut in half that conceivably could double if the market recovers. So it's tough to say in that tug of war which side would win out. And I guess my bigger point then would be um, you have to decide whether or not down stocks are good for you. My opinion, and I've been saying this for 11 years now on the air, is that most of the people watching this should be excited about lower prices, not higher prices, because we're all forced buyers in our retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking about the NASDAQ breaking its 200-day, I'm not selling newsletters. I actually would be fine with that because I'll be a buyer, and I would rather buy lower than higher. I think most people need to reorient their thinking around this. If you're rooting for another plus 30% year in the market, I don't really understand what your story is. Are you retired currently? Because if you're not, you probably would prefer to have a flat or a down year. Again, we're not there yet. It's, it's, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Yeah. But that's how I'm thinking about no, markets I hear you. right now. I hear you. Um, but it is disconcerting. I, I think that's a, a fair word to use, Kerry, as you watch the NASDAQ come under some significant selling pressure today. Again, when interest rates are largely behaving, if you want to use that word. There's been such a correlation, right? The 10-year moves up, the NASDAQ moves down, right? We all get it. You don't, you're not breaking any news by telling me that uh, at this point. However, when you see the NASDAQ continue to break down, when interest rates are not going up, then I wonder whether you're about to have a paradigm shift in the way we need to think about the valuations and multiples of some of these technology stocks. Well, I, I think for the time being, that connection um, is broken in that once the uh, really high priced and, you know, we can't call them high multiple because they don't have earnings, um, a group of stocks began to um, falter. And, and really, that's been many months. In some cases, it's, it can be you know, close to a year. Um, and, you know, if you look at the, the chart of Zoom Media or Teladoc or uh, and then more recently, Cloudflare or um, Zoom Info and uh, Snowflake. I mean, they, they've all come under pressure because the owners of those stocks, the people who bought them because they got excited when they started to open, you know, their first trading account or they were reading a lot of um, Reddit boards about uh, what are the most exciting software names out there. If people either started to sell because they made big profits or then they get scared as as you know Josh pointed out people look at a stock that they bought uh, three months ago and it had a rally and now it's below cost and they say to themselves wow I think I'd better get out and that has nothing to do with where interest rates are that's just the phenomenon of, of people getting worried about buying high price names 
where you've got interest rates that are going to continue to go. We know the, we know the Fed is going to keep raising. I mean, they haven't even started, right? So they're going to start. We don't know how that's going to affect um, Treasuries, but why wait? If you can just get out, put the money on the sidelines, it means that they will come down. There is a price at which they stop going down, and that's what we're looking for. You know, we've got price targets for many stocks, and it could be 75% from their peak. But the smart investors are putting together their lists and deciding this is where I am willing to take that bet and put money into a name that we think three years from now, four years from now, will be making a lot of money. I go back to Josh's point, Pete, of, you know, at least to him, the S&P 500 looks fine. I think that's the word that he used. Mm -hmm. It's just a rotation that is going to feel especially turbulent um, at times. It's just right. it's just the way it's hey, going judge, to be. I, right. You're going to have. I, yeah. Can, can I, yeah. I, I want to add one thing to this. <laughs> and what I want to build on what Carrie just said before we lose the, the moment. This is so important. I like that. A lot, of prof- a lot of professionals, a lot of professionals who run large amounts of money um, classify themselves as either growth managers or value managers. I hate both of those terms. I hate the distinction, but whatever. That's just what it is. And the reason why that matters is because, let's say I buy McDonald's and I'm a bad investor and I overpay for it. And I, I buy it for 30 times earnings and the peer group is selling for 22 and they, they miss on earnings, and the stock price has to adjust, and everybody knows McDonald's will eventually revert down to that 22 times trailing earnings because it's nothing special, right? If I'm a growth manager and I commit that sin and I decide I want to sell because I'm wrong, there's probably a value manager 10 points below my exit who's ready to start a new entry because now it's gotten cheap. That's not going to happen with a software as a service company based out of Israel selling 70 times uh, uh, next year's revenue, where the sell side is modeling 2,025 cash flows to come up with a justification for the price they just took it public at. That ain't gonna work. There are no value managers waiting 10 points below to take that stock in. They might be 100 points below. I don't even think I'm exaggerating that much. So what Carrie said about Uh, that conundrum, there's just this huge gap between where the value guys are waiting and where the growth guys have to get out of some of this stuff as they get hit with redemptions. And it's an uncomfortable place to be. I think that's where we've been for a while now with huge chunks of the NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't really think it's over. I don't think enough damage has been done in certain areas. Yeah, well, it appears to be the case if you watch the, the tick by tick and the price action. Pete, I'll give it back to you uh, before we take a, a quick break. Sure. Well, I would say this. I, I, what we're seeing today is a great example of what we've talked about for a really long time, Scott, which is these unbelievable high multiple names. And some of them even have some quality to them, like a Tesla, in my opinion, as well as an NVIDIA. But those are the names that are getting hit. Why are they getting hit today more so than Micron, Intel, some of the other uh, semiconductors? Because of where the multiples are. And when you look at where the multiples are of what's leading the NASDAQ down right now, it's Datadog, it's Peloton, it's those, a lot of the names that are out there that have either an incredible multiple of height, you know, three and four digits, or they have no multiple at all because they don't make money yet. And those are the stocks that people are going after. So when I mentioned earlier about the puke side of things that that Josh was talking about, 
these names, we've been talking about this for a long time. How, you know, I, I, I caught a lot of flack in the social media world on Peloton when I said it's an expensive clothes hanger because that's what it is. They've got to make money. These companies that everybody loves so much, whether we use them or not, doesn't matter. It's a matter of what is their multiple if they've even got a multiple. Those are the names that people attack first when they're nervous in the markets. Mm -hmm. And Carrie, um, look, I want to come to you on Peloton, but I do want to take this quick break first, okay? We'll do that. Got to get a break in. We're all over the market sell-off. NASDAQ's at the lows of the day. Carrie has her stock summit picks coming up as well. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Student loan provider Navient has reached a settlement to resolve accusations of predatory lending practices. The company will cancel about $1.7 billion of debt for about 66,000 borrowers. It'll also pay $145 million to the 40 states that had brought lawsuits. The Republican National Committee wants to pull out of the traditional presidential debates. It accuses the nonpartisan Commission on Presidential Debates of bias against Republicans and says that the group has not responded to its calls for change. Italy, meantime, honoring the 32 people who died in the Casa Concordia shipwreck. Today marks the 10th anniversary of the disaster. Survivors and residents there attended mass at a church that provided shelter to survivors after the wreck. Ten years ago today, the Costa Concordia cruise ship struck a reef and capsized with more than 4,200 people on board. And on the news tonight, security talks between the U.S. and Russia hit a wall. And Russia says that it will not rule out deploying troops close to the U.S. We'll break it all down tonight at 7 Eastern. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. Let's check the markets so once again as we stay on top of this sell-off, particularly on the tech side of the market today. The Nasdaq is at the lows of the day, uh, down 240 points. Interest rates, not the culprit today, because the yield on the 10-year is 172. I'm looking at stocks like NVIDIA, which is down by more than 4%. Some of the larger cap technology stocks are really the ones to keep an eye on at this moment. Apple's down a percent, Google's down, uh, and some of those type names you should keep watching. We left off our conversation, Carrie, talking about Peloton, which I wanted to continue uh, it's gotten hammered, as you know, um, and I don't mean to rub it in or anything like that. It's down 80 percent in the last year. Okay. Uh, we've questioned it so many times. Holders of the stock, you know, do you still believe in it? Should you stay in it if you got in during the pandemic? You've sold completely out of it. 
not suggesting that this trade happened today or yesterday, but it happened recently enough that I think we should talk about it. Yeah, sure. And, um, and Scott, despite the fact that we still love Cody, Jen and Ben, yes, we did sell the stock. And part of it is connected to what I spoke about before. We have lots of gains from last year we had in, in many names. And so as we took gains, and most of our accounts are taxable, we, we were looking for losses. And we had very few losses. Uh, we bought Peloton well into its decline the first time. Then we added to it. And when they announced that they were having trouble with shipments, deliveries, the orders were not as high as expected, we looked forward and felt that supply chain issues and the cost side would continue to be a factor over the next few quarters. And it didn't make sense for us to hold it into 2022 when we could take the loss in 21. Uh, we, we think there's a point at which Peloton is going to be a buy. We believe in the connected fitness uh, environment. They're the leader, but we didn't think that it made sense to s perhaps, you know, have the company struggle over the next few quarters. It continued to slide, and it, and it has since we sold it. It is down, I don't know, another 20 percent uh, easily. And uh, it's falling with the rest of its, its cohort. Uh, and it will remain to be seen how long that continues. But that's, yes, the answer to the question. We did sell it. You know, I do, I do want to point out as well that there are some stocks that are in the green today. It's not all red all over the place. It brings me, Pete, to Boeing and Ford, Boeing with some positive news regarding the MAX. And Ford's just been a juggernaut for the most part. Uh, it's coming off of a great year. Ford's up 4% as we speak. Boeing's up just shy of that. I wanted to mention them not only for that reason, but the fact that you've bought more calls in both. Can you tell us about it? Right. And I've been at Ford for a while just rolling, Scott, because this really started back in September. There were six different hits in September where they were very aggressively purchasing Ford. Stock was back in the very low teens. Then it started to move once again in October, November, December and January. We've already had six hits. Matter of fact, a couple just yesterday alone. So they just continue to come in there, Scott. Everything is very short term, though. They really are. They're staying mostly short term. We do have one trade that went out to March. But other than that, a lot of it has been very much focused on the very short term because they've been getting these moves. The leverage of the option markets, especially when you're buying 20 and 30,000 options at a clip, has been absolutely extraordinary. So now, today, another just absolute breakout, which is just stunning. The highest strikes that I recall seeing that were being bought was the 27 and a half. We're broaching those levels practically. So we're seeing a really, really nice run out of Ford. Is it a little in front of itself? I think somebody earlier was talking about where the PE is now versus some of the norm. Yes, it's a little bit higher, but I think a lot of that is due to the excitement that people have about EVs, specifically with the Ford, uh, you know, the F-150 and some of that. So a lot of excitement there. I, I think that that's a, a really interesting one. With Boeing, we already know some of the delivery numbers from just the other day, but they started to buy calls once again, Scott, and that's that was something when we see these giant call buying. Now, when I say that, when they have five digits, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, we've seen that type of buying in a lot of different option contracts of different stocks over the last week or two. 
very, very smart buying. Boeing was one of them. They were buying the January 225s. They're already in the money. Stock has moved to the upside. So people are very excited, obviously, about the Max. I think they're also predicated a little bit of it. I know they also have, you know, uh, uh, they have the, the security side. They've got a lot of different areas, aerospace, all these different things that they do. But I think when you start to see some of the airline stocks as well, maybe showing a little something like Delta and hearing some of the commentary there, that probably doesn't hurt as well. So the combination of that is why I'm in both those two names. And these buying in these names has been absolutely extraordinary today, Scott. Yeah, good stuff, Pete. Let's go back to that NASDAQ 100 uh, heat map, if we can, guys, and zoom in a, a little bit if, if we're able to do that on the wall back at our headquarters. I'd like to see some of those stocks that are towards the top left, uh, the ones that are remaining in the green. I know we're, we're talking so much about a slide in the NASDAQ as it's down more than you know, 235 points. You get a look, and uh, it's hard for me to see them from my vantage point sitting here, but I hope uh, at least where you're watching, you can see them at home. Uh, you see some of the chip names. Is that Lamb Research up there towards the right? Yes, it is. There's Biogen is there as well. And some of the names that are still in the green today, despite an awful lot of selling. You can see just below the second green line, you've got some of those more popular names in terms of this program. Qualcomm, Jim Labenthal name. There's Intel, which is down. Google is down. Some of those others. We'll keep our eye on those, too. Carrie is up after the break. Her stock summit picks for the year ahead. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. For the Stock Summit continues today with Carrie Firestone, her picks for 2022. Carrie, I'm going to run you through them here. Let's talk Autodesk. That's your first pick. A-D-S-K. Why? Very poor performer last year, and it's a tech stock, but it's one that we're going to see positive bookings relative to last year. Makes it unusual for some of the software companies, and we think about their strength in the design field, commercial real estate, they're doing lots of restructuring of office space because of working from home and new configurations. We think it sets it up for Autodex to have a very good year uh, in 2022. Okay, uh, we'll watch uh, ADSK. Health Equity, HQY, why'd you pick mm -hmm. this one? Okay, so that's another stock that was down big last year, down 50%, and it's a health savings account uh, 
company leads in that field, very poor dynamics with people falling off of the employment ranks last year. Now they're coming back. We're back to under 4% unemployment. That's very good for health savings accounts. Interest rates are real positive for them as well. And when people start to commute, that's a small part of their business, but will be very positive when people start to commute again into cities. Okay, so you point to two stocks that had disappointing 2021s in, in uh, Autodesk and Health Equity. One that did not performed, it performed really well, is uh, the CME Group. It was up 25% last year. It's your third pick this year. Why? Yes. Well, that 25% was good, but it did underperform financials. Uh, interest rate platform is a very big part of CME. As rates go higher, that builds their business. The last time we saw Fed hike rates, it was incrementally extremely good for CME. So it's a defensive financial, it's a growth stock. It also plays as a platform for cryptocurrency trading. They're not involved in it themselves, but you can play uh, the, the, uh, every side of financial trading with CME and as a positive. So we like it this year. You call your own sector pick controversial uh, because it's tech, but you also in exclude Apple and Microsoft in the way that you're thinking about this. Tell me more. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we think that Apple and Microsoft plus, you know, Google, great years last year. They make up a lot of the S&P, but we don't think that as a group they'll be outperforming the way they have. So if you can say, I like technology, but excluding those, you know, that's a little controversial because it's taking out the biggest factors in, in the field. Um, I mean, Google is, is technically not, it, it's, in, um, it's in communications. But there are many companies, I and mean, think about Visa and Autodesk and some of the uh, large tech names that uh, did not perform, you know, skyrocketing last year. We think that they'll start to really outperform. They're not affected by supply chain as much. They don't have the labor issues because they already pay high labor costs. And the growth is continuing. They are continuing to show strong demand for all types of hardware and software uh, products and services like a CRM. And so that's, you know, that's where we would, would pick. I mean, everybody's talking about financials, energy, and industrials. And I, I just thought it's, it's great to pick a, a, different, uh, a different sector, which we believe in. All right. We, we appreciate that. We certainly do. Uh, Carrie's going the extra mile for us today, too. I want you to check out her new op-ed on CNBC.com. She talks about the big names that propelled the S&P in 2021. What's ahead for 2022? She's giving you some hints in the way that she's talked about those stocks already in this program. You get a bit more in-depth read on our website, CNBC.com. Please go uh, check that out. We've got Pete's unusual activity coming up. I noticed the NASDAQ today giving up 15K. It's down 235 points right now. That's 1.5% decline. We're back right after this. All right, unusual activity. Pete Najarian, what are you seeing for us today? All right, Scott. Well, you know what I like about all these material space, copper and nickel and all the rest of this, all these materials out there. So uh, Valet stands out for us. The stock was trading a little bit higher. It was trading right around 1550 at the time. 
We had a monster buyer come in. They bought 26,000 of the February 16 calls. So just out of the money calls, those are going for about 50 cents. They've got earnings out in February as well. So keep that in mind. But very interesting to see this size order come in here. We've seen a lot of it in Freeport. We've seen a lot of it in other names. Valet, we hadn't seen in a while. So that stood out for me big time. Save. Now, going back to the airlines, we, I talked about Boeing. I talked about Delta earlier. And Delta already came out with their numbers. Tell you what, Spirit's an interesting one. The stock is trading pretty interestingly right now, right around 2370, at least at the time of the buying that we'd seen there. But almost 11,000 of the January 25 calls getting bought. They're very inexpensive. 12 cents up to about 20 cents. But 12,000 of those, somebody trying to put in something here to see if this stock can't do the beat and beat just like Delta did. We'll see what happens. But I am in both these names. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Appreciate that. Private equity giant TPG going public today. It's really the first big IPO of 2022. Dr. J said he was trying to get an allocation to this one. He's going to call in next and tell us if he did and what you should do. We're back after this. Private equity firm TPG going public today on the NASDAQ. John Najarian is the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. He joins us on the phone. Dr. J, are you there? Yes, indeed, Scott. Uh, hearing your voice loud and clear. All right, good stuff. You told our viewers yesterday you were hoping to get an allocation, which I understand you did, albeit a small one. Tell us about it and what you're going to do with it. Yeah, I intended or I was willing to take you know, a, a much more significant piece because I liked the fact that they were pricing it in the middle of the range, Scott. And I like the space. I mean, you know, these private equity firms, uh, you've been quoting the numbers all week. The returns have been phenomenal. And the fact that they're going to buy out some partners, some investors and things like that uh, with this capital, um, I think this one goes from this $9.5 billion valuation to $12 billion valuation pretty quick. Not today, not tomorrow, but I think that's a possibility by June or July of this year even if some of their big investments pan out. So um, I got uh, the allocation. It's 29 and a half. First trade today was 33. I was cheering. You could probably almost hear it from Switzerland. And I'm holding on, Scott. Mm -hmm. I'm not selling. And given that it's nine and a half billion valuation, we're going to get options pretty quick. So I will be more than happy to sell some upside calls, more or less taking some uh, not stock off the table, but taking some risk down in the position. All right. You get back on the slopes, Doc. I appreciate you calling in and giving us the update there. I'm going to talk about it with the committee now. That's John Najarian calling in, as he said, uh, to talk about TPG. So in terms of private equity, Kerry Firestone, you trimmed Blackstone. That's the one I teased earlier. I said we'd get to it later when our conversation moved to a different place. I mean, it was it was a double in 2021. So I guess there's no surprise that you decided to take some profits here. Yeah, I mean, if you looked at a long-term chart, if you put five years of Blackstone up, it was in the mid-20s. We, we've owned it for that long, and it's had an incredible run. Um, the fact that TPG is going public now, to me, suggests that the partners are pretty smart if they're selling some of their shares. Um, the perfect storm for these companies has been huge asset value increases, the enormous accumulation of assets, the fees that they get on those, and then they hold a lot of cash. And they've been able to in, in, invest that wisely. So it, it's been a great ride. It was a big weight. We sold some of it. I, I think if TPG um, performs well, great for John and the holders. But it's, it's, uh, it was time for us to sell some. 
All right. Yeah, understand. Down 6% month to date as we're showing our viewers on the screen there. Take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do final trades next. Carrie, your final trade. Visa. Viacom CBS. Visa. Viacom CBS. CME Group. Carrie's right. <laughs> I'm going to give you a lamb research, Scott. All right. All right, guys, good stuff. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.